This episode is a mic swap. It's a concept I came up with back in 2017 at the very start of Shareable. I thought, what if I shared the mic and let my guests become the host and I became the guest of my own show? This simple swap has allowed my guest hosts to take the conversation in unique and unexpected directions, producing some amazing one-of-a-kind conversations that I never could have planned. The concept is so good, in fact, that plenty of my podcaster friends have taken the idea for themselves. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Mike Swap. Welcome to Shareable. Um, I'm Jackie Insinger, the host of this podcast, and today we have a special guest, Jeff Gibbard, with us. Thank you for, for joining us today, Jeff. Thank you for having me. You know, growing up on Long Island as a kid, I wanted to do so many different things, but most of all, I always wanted to be on your show. So thank you for having me today. You're welcome. You're welcome. This is my thousandth episode today. Ah. So welcome. Welcome. I saved this one for you. Where in Long Island did you grow up? I was born on Long Island. Were you really? I grew up. Uh, so I was I was uh, born in Oceanside, grew up the first part of my life in Freeport uh, on the South Shore of uh, Nassau County. And then uh, my parents split and my mom moved to Port Washington on the North Shore. And my dad moved out to Suffolk County uh, in Center Mauritius. Okay. I was born in Stony Brook, lived there till I was five, and then we moved to Miami. So oh, right not much time down there, but I still relate. But I don't hear your accent. No, no, I have a non-regional dialect. My mother was from uh, Manhattan, so but she didn't have like a real like New York accent. And uh, my dad was from upstate New York. And I did a lot of voices growing up as a kid. So I feel like part of like imitating stuff was that I didn't have any one particular accent. Mm. Also, South Shore was very different accent than North Shore, which was very different from Suffolk. So it was like all of my surroundings. I do have a few things that every once in a while come out and you're like, okay, that's that's definitely a New York thing. But yeah, no. no so what, no what was your favorite accent to do as a kid? Um, God, it's hard to say. M my thing was I always like making my parents laugh. So I often would imitate characters from movies that we like to watch. So my mom was a really big fan of the Pink Panther series with Peter Sellers. So I was always imitating like the the Peter Sellers, Inspector Clouseau French accent. So there was a lot of that. Can you still do it? Does your dog bite? <clears throat> and then the dog bites me and he goes, I thought you said your dog does not bite. And he said, that is not my dog. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so so That's throughout awesome. my life, I, you know, I, I would imitate cartoons. I would imitate movies. I just, I did a lot of mimicry. And I think part of that, led me to have kind of a nondescript accent. Okay. So I have a question for you thinking of you as a kid. Mm. What did eight-year-old Jeff want to be when he grew up? Um, eight year. So it's interesting you chose eight because eight is kind of like in between stuff. Yeah. On purpose. Um, yeah. That, like that's an odd, cause I have in my talks, even I talk about my career journey and like all the things I wanted to be. And you specifically kind of chose a, a, a place that was a gap. Mm. So at eight years old, I feel like I was, it was probably something professional sports related. And I, I'm pretty sure I was past the point where I wanted to be. I grew up in like a lot of like uh, with the, in the eighties, right? So I had a lot of like eighties action movie influences. So I thought like cops were really cool and like secret police and military and spies and like, that was my thing for a period of my life. But I also was really into sports. So it's probably most likely I would have said professional baseball player because eight year old. Um, mm -hmm. But it's possible I was still in a phase where I thought I was going to be some sort of like action hero. 
Okay. Yeah. So an action hero baseball player, right? You could have been that. I mean, been around part-time, part-time. and who knew? Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. One when somebody two. called, you just disappeared quickly from the field. Yeah. Seventh inning. Where'd he go? Yeah. <laughs> All right. But you could probably control time so you can be back by the, the end of the inning. Um, so then, then traveling from your childhood, what do you identify as maybe three defining moments that might've been subtle? But three defining moments, starting from your childhood, that really seem to kind of dictate a course in your life or change the course in your life, looking back. It's a cool question because I, I think of myself as a pretty self-aware person. I do a lot of like introspection and retrospectives about things that have happened in my life. And there are some pretty significant ones. And then there's some ones that, um, you know, were probably just more significant to me. The, the first two were pretty easy. Third one might be harder. So let me let me give you the first two that came to mind. So the the first one was that so I'm I'm five foot five, five foot six in between. I don't know, it depends on the day and if I'm standing up straight, but I'm probably five, five mm-hmm. and a half, right? So I'm short, short guy. Uh, I had redder hair when I was a kid and I had freckles, right? So I got made fun of. And in my early childhood, I got beat up a little bit. And mm-hmm. I just always wish that I was like taller and I wish that I was thinner or fitter or more handsome. I had like all of these wish I could have, wish I could have, wish I could have. And I had this period of like kind of early tween, early teen angst of like being a little depressed and what have I accomplished in my life? It was a really weird thing to to think at like 12 or 13. But I distinctly remember that I had this period where I was so just wishing that I was something that I wasn't, wishing that I was something else, wishing that I could change these things about me that were ultimately immutable, right? And I remember a point, I might've been, it was between 13 and 15 years old, somewhere in there, where I just, I remember standing in front of a mirror and I remember looking at myself and I remember in that moment deciding that this is who I am and that I could spend the rest of my life wishing that I was taller or had different hair color or whatever, or I could just accept who I was. And I decided in that moment to just accept who I was and I no longer cared about short jokes. I no longer cared about my redhead jokes. I never cared about the freckle jokes because that's just who I am. So it's kind of silly. If you want to make fun of me for a thing that I am, like, I don't have a problem with it. If you want to have a problem with that's cool. But like your opinion doesn't have to dictate mine, my own self-worth. Now, it doesn't mean that I've like not struggled with self-worth issues throughout my entire life after that fact. It's just that in that moment, I remember it being a particularly poignant moment, standing in front of a mirror, looking at myself and having that very mature conversation with myself that I was just going to accept myself. So that was a very big and poignant moment in early childhood. Can this, I ask a, a question yeah, on of that course. before we move on to number two? Yeah. Is there something that you feel created that moment for you? Is there a moment before that? If you're stuck in this kind of this, you know, black cloud of feelings and questioning and um, really negative space, like, is there a moment between that, that got you in front of the mirror to say, I'm done with that. I can't say for certain about the timeline of this, but I can, I have a halo of events around that. And one I can tell you is that during that teenage angst, you know, thing that I was going through, like, will any girls ever love me? And I was writing poetry Mm -hmm. and all that. Like I was just going through that phase. Right. Yeah. And I remember watching a movie, dead poet society, Mm -hmm. which made a huge impact on me. And, um, the whole concept of like, you know, seize the day, like as cliche as it is, like really impacting me there. But the the things and and actually I can 
contextualize this of why it was meaningful specifically to me. But there's a scene in the movie where uh, Robin Williams talks to the the students in his class and he's showing these pictures of all of these people who have long since passed away, great men that no longer exist. And he says, these men are are worm food, right? Like they're feeding worms. They're They're no longer alive. So my dad was a funeral director. So I've been around death my entire life. So this idea of the impermanence of things and that life is short and that you don't get a lot of time here, I'm not sure what of those things happened in what order, but I know around that same time I watched the movie, I know around that same time I had a, a feeling of like, I don't have a lot of time here and I don't know when that time is. And it seems like a waste to just toil about on something you can't change. So I think it was a little bit of like, a, I don't want to say disgust, but it was more of like a just an impatience with the idea of even wasting any more time on this thing. Wow when I could be doing something else with that time. Um, that's the best I can give you for it is that yeah. like within that period of time, those things all happened and it was couched within the fact that I've been around death my entire life. And, and I had that as a, as a, as a backdrop. Wow. Well, that's amazing. Even just hearing those things together. Yeah. yeah. Which will make the second one make a lot more sense now of why it was important. Okay. So on my last day of high school, and I've told this story a number of times I talk about it in my talk. It's, it's a big moment in my life. On my last day of high school, um, I my mom used to let me drive her Jeep Grand Cherokee to school. Uh, so we shared a car. So I would drive the car to school. Some days I would drive it there and I would drive it home. It was my senior year. And um, on the last day of high school, I took the car and my mom wanted to come and meet up with me so that she could come and grab the car from me uh, so that she could go and get fish from the good market that was like the next town over for my graduation party. So I met up with her at this uh, pizza shop and I get a slice of pizza and we meet up and uh, I hand off the car and, you know, I either walk back to school or she drops me off. I don't know what it is. I get home from school that day and my grandmother walks out and she lets me know that my mother had been in a car accident. It was a very catastrophic, severe car accident. Uh, there's a company called Guaranteed Overnight Delivery, giant tractor trailers. It had fishtailed on this road, planned on road, which hadn't been paved in a very long time. And they kept neglecting to pave it. And the road was a little wet. It fishtailed and it ripped off the entire side, basically, of her driver's side. And uh, right behind her, luckily, was a, uh, a surgeon from North Shore Hospital or heart surgeon or something. And he immediately rushed and cut the seatbelt that was strangling her at the time and called an ambulance and they got her to the hospital. She was in the operating room for like eight or nine hours, eight or nine pints of blood. They saved her life. She was in a coma for three weeks. And after that, you know, she came to and she came back and she went to rehab. But She was never the same person because she had a traumatic brain injury. I mean, she was messed up. And for the majority of my adult life, I had to in some way help her take care of her. Uh, when she moved to, I moved her from Long Island to Philly and, you know, had to help her with various different things. Um, and... Obviously, it was just a, a gigantic moment in my life and, and, and continued to be throughout my continues life. Continues to be. Um, so that one was probably the the second big one when I'm thinking of like childhood because that yeah. that was kind of the end of childhood, right? That was the end right. of my, it was my last day of high school. So it was like going out to go to college and everything. And on that very day, <sighs> boom, catastrophic, right? So those are probably the two big ones if I had to pick two. I, I could probably find a third in there, but hard to beat those two. Yeah, those are big. Is there one 
that feels like an accomplishment or a moment that was so um, joyful, right? At the epitome, that elation feeling that also felt like a pivotal moment for you. Hmm. What's the time frame I can play in there? Any, any time frame. Do you Anytime. want me to narrow it down for you or can I leave it open? Yeah, narrow it down because it'll make it a little easier for me. Adult life. My adult life, a moment of joy. Um, gosh. You know, I think the, I think trying to find joyful accomplishing moments is a difficulty for me. And mm. I recently discussed that with my therapist. And part of it is that for me, all time is now and not now. So like I'm terminally in the present. And when I think back to not now, it's just a giant pancake stack of everything. And as we've discussed in previous conversations, we remember the negative so much more than the positive. Right. Additionally, as an entrepreneur and as, uh, you know, somebody who's trying to make the most of my time in the world, every accomplishment just feels like a stepping stone to the next. Right. So I rarely stop and look back and say, ah, I'm very proud of that thing. I just think, great, that's done. What's next? The only accomplishment that I can really, really, really unreservedly look at and say, like, this is one that I'm just proud of, just purely proud of, is writing my book and publishing it. That's mm -hmm. the one thing that like amidst the stack of not now is the one thing that will always leap out and be a thing that I'm proud that I did. I, I feel an immense sense of um, joy that I left a mark in the world. And that that's like, regardless of how well it sells, I did a thing and I left it behind. And for as long as it will be in print or in digital form, I made a contribution that will outlive me. And mm. so many of the other accomplishments that I can look back on don't carry that same weight because they were now, like they happened and then they were gone. And it's so rare because I only see them as uh, similar to my failures. I see them as stepping stones to what's next. So I'm always looking ahead and, and at right now, but everything in the past is just kind of a stack of a pancake stack of history. Wow. Oh, that's so interesting. I would like to challenge you. Mm -hmm. Um, not, not right now, but we'll check back in. I'll have you back on the show. Episode 2000 will be yours, nice. um, in a week or so. Um, I would like to challenge you to start looking through that pancake stack for those list of accomplishments. I know we've spoken before about scanning for positive and how that yep. actually builds that part of your brain that does start to notice them more in the moment. So you could start celebrating more of those things instead of checking them off, right? Which most high achievers do is we check the, what's next, what's the next goal. And generally the goalpost keeps moving farther and farther, but maybe challenge you to look back through your pancakes and start yeah. recognizing. I have a space for it, by the way. Um, so one of the things that my therapist, when I was revealing all that said to me was like, you know, in the timeline of your life. And I was like, timeline. And it immediately occurred to me that that's a visual way of representing when these things happen instead of it being a nondescript mm -hmm. pancake, right? So I actually have a timeline in my workspace where it's called accomplishments. And the idea was for me to go and like actually place them on a timeline so that they don't all feel the same distance away from now. Um, yeah. They can actually, I can actually see them in the context of my life and see where those accomplishments and and some of those regrets fall so that I can have a better sense of like the timeline of my life so that I'm not just terminally in the present. So do you have a space for it? I at one point did commit to doing the very act that you had just brought up. And based on this episode, I will promise you that before episode mm -hmm. 2000, I will have a few more entries in that timeline. 
Awesome. Great. So that I'm going to, I'm going to ask you then maybe at that point to kind of walk us through some connection points that stood out that maybe you had forgotten about that might be real moments that mattered in the course of your life. So I know we're, we're coming to time here, but I want to ask you something on a light positive note. If there is a movie or TV show that you find so funny that you could recommend for people to watch, to bring that laughter and levity and endorphins that we all need sometimes, what would be something funny, or even if it's a comedy show on Netflix, anything that you recommend Such a to good make us question. laugh? I, I don't, uh, I don't watch enough comedies admittedly, um, I watch a lot of Korean dramas. I watch a lot of superhero shows. Um, but when I think about funny shows, the first funny show that that immediately comes to mind is uh, Mythic Quest, which is a, a show on Apple TV. Uh, and it's about um, like a video game company. And it's it's got Mac from It's Always Sunny. By the way, It's Always Sunny actually would probably be my answer now that I think about it. I just follow the breadcrumbs mm. to that. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever laughed harder at a TV show than in the episode where Dennis and D get hooked on crack. Like there, there's something <laughs> about that episode that just like, I, I laugh so hard. My sides hurt on that one. So I'm going to say it's always sunny. Philadelphia is probably the funniest show I've ever watched in my life. Final answer. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. I love ending on a positive note. Thank you for being here with me today, Jeff. And thank you everybody for showing up for shareable. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.